So the date is the uh, 11th of September, and we're thinking about Christmas. I don't know how that makes you uh, feel. It's just the way the sequence is, with Graham's uh, laid out a series for us starting last week in Matthew's Gospel, and inevitably the Christmas story comes near the beginning. Has anybody had a Christmas card uh, yet this year? Ruth and I used to get one in August every year from a little lady. We stopped getting them after she died, but we got them every Christmas <laughs> un- until then. Every August from this uh, wee lady sent us this stuff. I- I'm, a- I'm very happy to talk about Christmas uh, just now, even though I know some people get upset about Christmas too early in the shops. So, or like an enterprising friend of mine who advertised on Facebook, it was only 16 weekends to Christmas, still time to get your house redecorated by me before that time uh, comes. But it strikes me sometimes when we get nearer to Christmas, uh, a number of the services where we talk about the Christmas message are focused on children, uh, and we're not able often to get into the meat of what this story means to us. I, I remember that old animal welfare thing that says, a dog is for life, not just for Christmas, and the gift of God, Jesus' son, is for life, not just for Christmas. So it's good that we talk about that uh, today. Did anybody ever receive an early Christmas present? Very early. Has anybody had a Christmas present yet? You haven't had a card, but have you had a Christmas present yet? Last year, we installed a wood-burning stove in our house in about April, May, and I said to Ruth, that's your Christmas present (laughs) and your birthday present for this year, next year, the year after. So that's a very early sort of uh, Christmas present. She really wanted the stove, and in case you get the wrong impression, I did give her a Christmas present and a birthday present, and we continue to do so, but they'll be tempered by the fact that that stove is there, sitting there. She really wanted the stove, but sometimes Christmas gifts are unwanted, and I guess most of us have had what we might call unwanted Christmas gifts. Somebody gave us red leg warmers for our dog. Can you imagine? (laughs) In the weeks after Christmas, the small ads columns of the local newspapers list unwanted gifts. That's a sad sort of turn of phrase, unwanted gifts. But we're thinking today about Joseph the carpenter of Nazareth, who received an early Christmas present, nine months early to be precise. It was, in a sense, immediately an unwanted gift, as his fiancée Mary tells him she's pregnant and they haven't, well, you know. Can you imagine the scene? Joseph, I have something to tell you. Yes, my love, what is it? I'm going to have a baby. Yes, of course you will, darling. As soon as we're properly married, believe we, we will make that a priority, and I'm looking forward to it. No, Joseph, you don't understand. I'm already pregnant, I'm still a virgin, and the father of the child is the Holy Spirit. I really need Linda's thing that says, what? Because that could well have been Joseph's reaction. Actually, we're not told how he reacted. Was it anger? Was it disappointment? Was it incredulity? These things don't add up, they don't make sense. I wonder how the meeting ended. Did it end in tears with angry words or in silence? Let's just imagine for a moment Joseph filling us in on the background to the customs of the day. 
You see, he might say, becoming engaged in my world is like an endurance test before marriage. Betrothal is so official and legal that a divorce is required to break it, and it can go on for a year before the wedding, before the marriage can be consummated. You get all of a husband's responsibilities and none of the benefits. It's actually a good preparation for marriage. <laughs> and cultural background tells us that Joseph had no option of giving Mary a second chance. Even if he wanted to, Jewish and Roman law both demanded that a man divorce his wife if she were guilty of adultery. Roman law actually treated a husband who failed to divorce an unfaithful wife as exploiting his wife as a prostitute. Furthermore, Joseph's own reputation would be on the line if people assumed that it was him who'd got his betrothed pregnant. What a mess! What a dilemma. Talk about being caught between a rock and a hard place. And in the middle of all of this, Matthew tells us that Joseph was a righteous man. And it's not easy being righteous. What does it mean to be a righteous man? On the one hand, that does dictate his purity in sexual ethics. Restraint, the self-control of this couple, challenges many today who doubt their ability to control their urges. And by calling Joseph righteous, Matthew challenges our culture in the light of liberal sexual morality. Yet that's not Matthew's stated reason for calling Joseph righteous. Joseph is faced with choices, as indeed Mark helped us see a little bit earlier on. Option one, he could make Mary a public example. Charge her with adultery in the public court. She would be shamed. She would be brought to trial. She would be convicted in front of everyone. She would be ruined forever in terms of reputation, perhaps stoned to death. That's option one. Or option two, he could quietly, before two or three witnesses, write out a bill of divorce to end their relationship. There would be no fanfare, nobody would need no. Mary would simply go away somewhere and secretly bear and raise the child. Well, not simply, it would be hard going. She would be in disgrace for the rest of her life. She would be regarded as damaged goods, no longer eligible for marriage or a place in decent society. And as for the child, what hope would there be? And Joseph was ready to choose the lesser of two evils. His motives were good. His intentions were caring. He attempted to be logical, to be rational and honorable. And he was wrong. And yet, perhaps these thoughts went through his mind. Let me think. I had to think thoughts that no one has had to think of before. If Mary was lying with this amazing story, then I was just one more jilted fiance. But if she was telling the truth, then the fate of the Lord's Messiah lay in my hands. The burden of responsibility was on my shoulders. Would I give him a name and a family and a home, or would I leave him quietly in another town? And Matthew describes him as a righteous man. He called him righteous because he tempered justice with compassion. He was prepared to set up Mary quietly, but there was evidently more to being righteous as Joseph chooses option three, as he believes her story and accepts the consequences. Common sense had told him not to believe her. Self-defense told him not to do it. Convenience told him not to do it. Pride told him not to do it, but God told him to do it, and Joseph obeyed. Joseph trusted God sufficiently to obey him, regardless of the cost. 
Some of you may remember the uh, movie that came out in 2006 called The Nativity Story. It was on the, the cinemas. You could go to see it, and many churches used it. A Guatemalan actor called Oscar Jai Isaac was cast to play Joseph in that movie, The Nativity Story, and his reflections on playing the role of Joseph are illuminating. He said about Joseph, usually I thought of him as the guy in the paintings of Christ's birth who stands over in the corner next to the sheep. That's about all I knew about Joseph. That's all most people knew about him. But then I had to play him in this movie. And how do you play righteous. Do you just kind of stand up straighter? Do you somehow show the audience that he's feeling anger and fear and doubt and romantic love and jealousy, but he works through those things? He ends up making the right choices. He's a righteous man, but we see that it costs something to make those choices. Oscar said, I realized that Joseph's righteousness had to be shown in his actions. He says, for me, righteous meant love. He doesn't stone Mary when he finds out she's pregnant because he's righteous. He doesn't humiliate her publicly because he's righteous. And so he says, when I did the scenes, the thing that I felt most, even though some of the scenes called me to feel anger and fear and doubt, was that I just loved her so much. And I realized that righteousness just means selfless, humble love. And that realization took me through the rest of the film. And Joseph, as we know from the story, had an angelic visitation while he sleeps. However, did he manage to sleep that night? But in the words of Matthew 1, 20 to 21, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, not everyone has angelic visitations. God does not communicate to every person in dreams. But whatever happened that night, it had sufficient impact on Joseph to make his mind up about the right course of action. The Bible does talk about entertaining angels unawares. In other words, you might know you'd had such an angelic encounter. But the kind of angelic encounter that Mary and Joseph each had was the kind that had to be unmistakable. If it happened to you, you would know. There would be no doubt it's the kind that needs to be accompanied by the words, do not be afraid. I believe that God still speaks through dreams. I'm not aware of God speaking to me through dreams, but there might be people here. Put your hand up if God's spoken to you in a dream at any time. There's hands going up all over the place. God still speaks through dreams. Throughout the Muslim world today, there are countless reports of God speaking to unsuspecting Muslims about Jesus, and Muslims are turning to Christ as a result. That's amazing. That is fantastic. The angel says to Joseph, Joseph, son of David, that's significant, but Old Testament prophecy tells us that the Messiah will come from David's line. Soon the Muzak will be in Sainsbury's and everywhere else, the Christmas carols playing, and uh, Great theology coming across the supermarket aisles. Hail to the Lord's anointed, great David's greatest son. Jesus the Messiah, Jewish version of the Greek Christ, both mean anointed, that's chosen by God for a special task. To Jews, a king in succession to David whose kingdom would never end, 
and in popular expectation, one who would overthrow the Roman overlords and establish his kingdom. Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. What she's telling you is true. You're going to be the legal guardian of Messiah, God's own son. And here's one job you don't have to do. You don't have to choose a name for him because the name has already been chosen. You to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus because he will save his people. Jesus, it's the same word as Joshua. It means savior. Who are his people? Very immediately, the Jewish people but more widely and for which I'm grateful, the whole human race into which Jesus is born. He will be called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Sin is serious. In Genesis, we read that God created and saw that everything was good and then sin entered the world and everything became spoiled less than God intends it to be. I thought it worth taking a few moments this morning to just consider how does sin work. Sin contaminates. My, my mother always taught me when you broke an egg, you shouldn't break it into the mixture of whatever you were going to bake or cook. You shouldn't break it straight into the pan. You should always break it into a glass or a mug first. I don't do that anymore. But the reason she did that in those days which were not too far after the end of the Second World War, times of austerity, was because there was the fear of there being a rotten egg, and a rotten egg would spoil everything else. She was just frightened that salmonella were hiding in that egg, and it would spoil her cake, it would spoil her scrambled egg. And sin is like that. Like the rotten apple that spoils the barrel, sin spoils everything. Not a one of us is as God originally intended us to be because our lives are tainted by what the Bible calls sin. Sin contaminates. Sin also debilitates. Do we have any bowling green bowlers here? Linda's hand is going up for everything here. If you take one of those bowling green bowls and you try to roll it straight, it won't go the way you want it to go because it's bent. It's biased. It's got a weight in it. And each of our lives are like that. We are debilitated because we cannot do the things that we would want to do because of sin which is in us, which stops us. That's one of the effects of sin that Jesus, the Savior, came into the world to save us from. And a third thing, sin separates. Sin separates us from a holy God who made us. Sin separates entailing judgment and eternal separation from God. And if we're to have the relationship with God for which he created us, we need to have our sin dealt with. I want to ask you this morning, have your sins been dealt with? I'll ask you another question. Do you want your sins to be dealt with? Jesus found a man lying beside a pool who'd been lying beside that pool hoping for a miracle for 40 years or thereby and Jesus basically said to him, do you want to get better? And some of us are quite happy. We don't want to be saved from our sins. Do you want your sins to be dealt with? Mary's boy child was called Jesus because he's the savior. That was his destiny. He was born to die for the sins of the world. Now this passage leaves us a few things to get our heads around. Virgin birth, an angelic message, prophecy fulfilled, 
not our everyday topics of conversation. And Matthew makes his own comments on what he'd reported. He says, this took place to fulfill a 700-year-old prophecy found in the book of Isaiah that a virgin would conceive and give birth to a son. One is to realize that Matthew is less concerned to prove the virgin birth to his audience, which both accepted Jesus as Messiah and acknowledged the miraculous. Matthew is more interested in teaching that Jesus' birth fulfills Scripture. In other words, the birth of Jesus Christ is not an isolated incident. It's part of the wider story, his story. Why virgin birth? For Matthew, the only reason is that Scripture may be fulfilled. Theologians will tell us that virgin birth was the device by which God became man. Divine father, human mother, fully divine, fully human. God became one of us, again from a Christmas carol, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. It's what we call incarnation, God in flesh. And that makes him eligible to save human beings from their sins. That gives us another theological word, atonement. But Matthew, more concerned to place the birth of Jesus in the scope of biblical history, prophets foretold him, infant of Mary, Messiah would be born of a virgin, and here we are, this is it! And Isaiah, in the comments and the connection that Matthew makes, Isaiah gives him the title Emmanuel, which means God with us. I wonder how you imagine God this morning. Do you imagine him as remote, immovable, stern, judgmental? That's how many in our world conceive him if they even allow the possibility of his existence. But the Christian understanding is of God with us. Emmanuel. Yes, like Joseph, he is righteous, or rather it's the other way around. Joseph reflected God's righteousness. God, to use another big word, is transcendent. He's holy, he's other, he's far beyond all human understanding, but at the same time, he is immanent. He is near. He's entered his creation in the person of his son, Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us, earth has become the visited planet. What does that say for us? What does it mean to us? He walked where I walked. He stood where I stood. He felt what I feel. He understands. He knows my frailty, shared my humanity, tempted in every way, yet without sin. God with us, so close to us. God with us. Emmanuel. Where does this leave us this morning? Seems to me we've got three areas for response. Just as Joseph had three options that he could choose in relation to the story that Mary told him, we've got three areas for response this morning. The first one relates to Joseph being a righteous man. I just want to ask you this morning, is there a specific area in your life in which God is calling you to be righteous? Perhaps it's in relation to behavior which is not honoring to him, and you know it's not honoring to him. Perhaps it's in relation to a decision he is calling you to make. I'm so glad that Joseph chose the way of righteousness, even though it was not a soft option. 
And maybe you feel you're stuck between a rock and a hard place in terms of a decision that you have to make in your life. And you know that the decision that you make is going to have consequences. If you do what you know to be right, there will be consequences which seem difficult, which seem burdensome, which seem will get you into an awful lot of bother. And my question this morning is, are you prepared to be a righteous man, a righteous woman, as Joseph was? Joseph chose the righteous way, and the rest, they say, is history. And it could well be some of us here today know that we're in that situation. Maybe we're struggling with a lifestyle issue, or maybe we have that decision to make, and we would value somebody to get alongside us and to pray with us, that we would exhibit righteousness in daily living, that we would exhibit righteousness in the decision that we have to make. First area for response, which may be relevant to some of us here this morning. Second area for response that may be relevant to some of us too. Jesus came to save us from our sins. One of Jesus' friends, John, wrote this, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all from all what? Unrighteousness. So if we confess our sins, Jesus the Savior is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and he'll make us righteous. Contemporary preacher Francis Chan observes, lukewarm people don't really want to be saved from their sin. They want only to be saved from the penalty of their sin. In other words, they will just carry on living the same way, claiming forgiveness every now and then. And the truth we declare this morning is this, Jesus saves from the power of sin and not just its penalty. Jesus can forgive your sins today if you will let him. Jesus can set you on the way to being cleaned up rather than contaminated. Jesus can release you from that debilitation which stops you being the person that God created you to be. And Jesus can bridge that gap between God and man which brings you into his presence and into an everlasting relationship with him. But Jesus will give you power over your recurrent sins your habitual sins, your favorite sins, if you will receive it. In the New Testament times, it seems some of the people had got the idea that if forgiveness was available, that's great, and I can just go out and sin up a storm, claim forgiveness, and then do it all over again, get forgiven again. And the Apostle Paul said in response to that, surely not, that's God forbid, that's a crazy way to behave. Because if you're really concerned about having your sins forgiven, then you'll want a relationship with God, which means you will not behave in that way. And then here's the third opportunity for response. God is with us. Emmanuel. We've been praying this morning for parents and families. We've been praying for children as they go into school. We've been praying for those who have responsibility for leading children's groups here or Spectrum in number seven. Life is not easy. Life is difficult. Are you struggling with life, the universe, and everything? Do you feel alone? 
you feel that God is distant, uncaring, not interested in you, here is the truth this morning. Jesus, the Messiah, Son of God, Son of Mary, is available by His Spirit to live your life with you. There's no need to struggle on your own. Let Jesus, who said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Let him take the strain in your life. And in each of those areas, at the close of our service, there will be the opportunity for people to pray with you, to pray with you for that righteous decision, that righteous lifestyle, to pray with you for forgiveness of your sins and power over your sins and to recognize that God is close to you. Emmanuel, God with us. Joseph's Christmas, it's a little bit early. It's only the 11th of September. But the good news is this. You don't need to wait till the 25th of December to receive God's greatest gift and to enjoy it from today. And we would love to help you receive that gift even now. Let me pray for us and then we're going to sing about the salvation which belongs to our God. Our Heavenly Father, in some ways that's a very familiar story to us that we've been thinking about this morning. It's something that we remember from school, from our earliest days, from nativity plays, from Christmas services, and uh, sometimes the words that we read, if they're familiar, uh, just somehow lose their impact. We're anesthetized against the impact of familiar words. And we pray, Father, as we've looked at that story this morning, that you, by your Holy Spirit, will speak to us again and afresh. We thank you for Joseph. We thank you that he was a righteous man. We thank you that he made the righteous decision. We thank you that he was prepared to do the right thing, regardless of the consequences, that he was prepared to bear the shame, as indeed his adopted son, the Lord Jesus, was prepared to bear the shame of our sin as he died on the cross. Help us, Father, if we have big decisions to make and we're struggling to take the righteous path. Help us, like Joseph, to be righteous. Father, we thank you this morning that Jesus came into the world to save us from our sins. Father, we need saving. Father, we pray that uh, you would help us to receive the free gift of salvation, the free gift of forgiveness which you make available to us. But not only that, Father, that you would help us to be in the position where we don't want to sin anymore, where we actually want your power to help us to overcome the temptations to sin on a daily basis. And Father, as we think of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, May we experience his presence closer to us than breathing. And may we know that he is with us every step of every day. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.